Welcome to the Lift Oneself podcast, Alfonso. I'm thankful you're here with me. Oh, I'm so grateful. I know we know each other for years and years and years and years. And uh, you have this incredible new platform. I'm excited. Yeah, you got me excited. How's your heart doing? My heart is smooth. My heart, my heart is, uh, it beats, I think it beats the way it should, right? Uh, I, I feel healthy, healthier than I ever did, even in my early uh, 20s when I was maybe skinnier, right? You see, I don't identify with, you know, with, you know, like more of a, where uh, uh, the huskier, my huskier self. I'm I'm trans slender, you see, like I'm, I'm identify as slender, you know, but I've, I even though uh, I'm a bit more high school than I was when I was 20 years old, I feel I feel I feel great. My heart is beating smooth. Right. There's more to love in you. What's that? I said there's more to love in you. Oh, for sure. That's why I said I'm husky. Yeah. <laughs> I can hug. I can hug people, yeah. <laughs> which I love to do. I love hugging people. I'm a people person. Um, when you said heart, I thought you meant health, but now I understand you meant people. And um, the COVID, you know, it's like it's making me like hug people even more <laughs> because it's like now it's like I know that you're not supposed to, but you know, are you vaxxed or whatever it is? Ah, come over here, you know. And uh, I love people. I'm, I'm a people person. People yeah. first. Yeah. I, if I could. Uh... I'll call myself out since the pandemic. I've been hugging people, even strangers, even when it was back in 2020, 2020. Yeah. So um, even in Costco, I'd be hugging. I know the people would be looking like, what are you doing? You're not allowed to touch people. And I'm like, you know, this person needs a hug. So I'm listening people to whatever's called in me. People need hugs. People need, um, I mean, not everybody wants to be touched. And yeah. everyone, of course, I respect Permission. people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> respect people's space. Um, but I personally need the human touch. I think it's important. Um, it's important for health, right. And sanity. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a hugger. Uh, I'm a hugger. And, you know, like, I think, um, people are, people have jumped onto these platforms and a lot of people like, Oh, we're becoming disconnected. Right. I think we're becoming even more connected because, you know, now with these platforms, we can see each other on Zoom. We can connect. We can understand each other. And then the hug, when we see each other, the hugs will be stronger. You see? So we're actually getting closer, I think. Yeah. It's all, I, I through my life journey, I'm recognizing you always have a choice on how you want to see things. If you want to evilize it or if you want to see the good in it. And yeah. there's it's a mixed bag. There's there's not one thing that's all good. There's not one thing that's all bad. It's a mixture of both. It's a yin and yang. Yet it, it seems that a lot in the mentality, everybody wants to look for that one solution, that one savior, that one all or nothing. And it's like, that's not what life is. It's a mixed bag. There's yeah. all kinds. It's, it's there's mixed. ups and downs. There's uh, And I think it's mostly ups, mm -hmm. right? I mean, think about, you know, your daily life, right? And, uh, and like, mo like 99% of the things that happen to you are positive. They are. Right? And um, so, like, why we only focus on that 1%, you know, the, that car accident or, you know, whatever it is. 
whatever it is that um, happened or is happening in the news, whatever topical thing is happening in the news, that's what people choose to 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 focus on. But they forget about the 99% of the things that are going right in the world and going right in your life right now. Right? Exactly. What can you thank COVID for? Everything. <laughs> COVID. Uh, and by the way, I, I'm not uh, I'm not someone to make light for people that have suffered during during this time. Yeah, yeah. I know that, you know, people, um, you know, obviously, you know, just the, 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 the COVID, the disease itself is not a positive thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know anybody that was personally affected. So it's easy for me to, you know, I don't have a grandmother or someone that has passed. So I definitely sympathize with anyone that has has gone through that uh, or lost a job or, um, you know, restaurant or, you know, businesses have been destroyed. Yeah. Personally, it has been a positive. My, my life has shifted in terms of a better, more quality of life that I'm having now doing better financially than I ever was um, doing, doing better in terms of the time that I'm spending with loved ones. Then I, then I, that, that's something that is extremely positive and I can, I have to thank COVID for it because my life before COVID I was on stages right now. That sounds awesome. Right. I mean, like getting paid, to share your thoughts and, you know, share your stories and what, you know, that's a, that's the dream life. Right. And to me, they, I was like, I love it. Like it's not even work. Like you're going to pay me to share my life. Like I'll do it for free, you know? And um, I just didn't, I never equated. I never, I never associated it with, with, uh, with work. But the truth is, I was on a plane twice a twice a week. You know, I'm always flying somewhere. I'm, I go to the the I go to the venue. I check. I see what's going on. I check into my beautiful hotel room with just me. <laughs> I'm often eating dinner by myself. You know, um, uh, I'm Facetiming my kids or whatever. But it, there's no like I'm not. Daddy's not home, right? And and I, I remember back in those days, people were like, oh, you should think about doing things online or like doing presentations online. I'm like, you can't connect with people online. But I realize now in, in retrospect, that was my ego speaking. My ego said, I need to be on stage. You know what happened after after COVID? So that that part of my that part of the business died. Right. Like in an instant, no more events. My whole year was booked disappeared so now what am i going to do right and uh i decided in retrospect actually you were impacted for sure you did lose business i did lose business but as a result i just leaned into the this covid Mm -hmm. thing and i went online i went on youtube what i know about youtube well i know i got this and i can i can do videos and this is when i went on i started doing videos i guess i had the need to continue to talk you know that youtube turned into uh events and uh, my whole life online, you know, uh, coaching, mentoring, everything that I do now, which is more rewarding to me than what I was doing before. And even though that that stream of income closed, I created a new stream of income that can be done from anywhere. Mm-hmm. To me, that's like I never. Freedom. Yeah, it's complete freedom that because I always have this like dying need to help people. 
right? I want to help people. I want to empower people. I want to help people achieve financial freedom. I was stuck in the old ways, right? I was not, I was not open to online and things like that simply because I didn't know, right? It's, and you're scared of things that you don't understand, but being forced to jump online and to build a whole different business online forced me to learn, learn how to navigate through Zoom, YouTube, get subscribers, you know, and just expand, get a TikTok account. Like you got me doing this, you know what I mean? Like you got me doing all kinds of craziness, which I would, I would have never even had time for before. And so uh, what has COVID done for me? Um, COVID has given me ultimate freedom to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, how I want it, whenever I want it. And, uh, when someone says COVID, that's what, that's what I think about. In the next part of our conversation, this may bring up triggers and memories for some. Be aware of your inner states. And if it's overwhelming, please seek help. So your journey began in El Salvador, the journey for Alfonso. Yes. Can you tell us what that experience felt like? And were there any intentions that you told yourself that you can see that has come to fruition? So the, the journey of being in El Salvador, it was uh, like very memorable, even though I was young, right? So um, back, let's, I'll, I'll go a little bit uh, before I was born. So yeah. my, mom, my mom was a, a, a political journalist in El Salvador. Um she started a, a a news agency. So before before CNN, right? The all the news outlets would buy their news from news agencies, right? So they wouldn't send a correspondent. They would see what what are the local news agencies in the area, and then they would buy the news from that from the news agency. So that's what my mom was doing, and um, she's. You know, she's she's very uh, honest and um, she has a lot of integrity and governments don't like that. Obviously, if you're writing about what's ha- really happening in the region uh, with all these regime regimes and stuff, uh, you're going to get in trouble. And that's that's what ha- ultimately what, ha- what happened to her. She uh, eventually got shut down. Um, she was um, illegally detained and uh, brought to prison where uh, ultimately she was going to serve about a 40 year sentence, right. For speaking out against uh, the government. And so at this point you had all the, all the news agencies of the world um, wanting to speak to my mom and a big threat uh, was a big threat to our family was that they would potentially kidnap me as a young child when I was uh, around two years old as a, as a way to get my mom not to, to speak out or, you know, share what was going on. And so my grandpa, my grandparents brought me, uh, brought me to their house and they kept me in hiding for like three years. So I was not allowed outside. I wasn't allowed to interact with other kids. Um, it was it was a really interesting time in my life because when you're when you're a young child and you're on your own, right? You start to uh, develop this incredible uh, imagination. 
I, my entire existence was imaginary friends. I had all these imaginary friends and, uh, you know, I created this whole imaginary world. And I, I think that was really a positive, like, I don't think many kids would have that experience, right. To have, to develop a heightened level of imagination at such a, at such a young age. So <clears throat> eventually um, my mom was freed. Thanks. To, you know, uh, I don't know if you know the organization Am- Amnesty International. Yeah. So they stepped in, they supported. And so they brought us, they brought us here uh, to Montreal for um, uh, what do you call it? Polit- political asylum. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. And so when we landed, what we didn't know is that the, the world was watching, you know, they were right. There were stories. It was in the New York times everywhere. And so my mom was now, you know, the second we stepped up off the plane, we were in the Montreal Gazette, New York Times. You might not remember the politics, but the U.S. government was funding the Salvadorian government. Okay, anybody that was against communism would get a check right from from the U.S. government. And obviously, you know, it you don't want it to you don't want it out there that the government is suppressing their people. Right. And so they actually sent uh, people to find us here in Canada. So now we're running for our lives in Montreal, right? And I remember I was like five, six years old. And I remember I was, uh, you know, I was, my mom was like pulling me, right? So when, imagine you're in a rush to go somewhere and your, and your, your parents, like pretty much they're like dragging you like, like this, you know? And uh, I remember the, my mom was, had this, this look of fear in her face, right? She was like pale, pale. I remember it, it was, it was, uh, snow, it was snowing, but it was, it was that slushy snow that would just, when it hits you, it just melts. And I remember, I remember she was so scared. Later, what I discovered was that there was death squads running after us in Montreal, in the metros, Right. And so we had to go from different uh, women's shelters and in hiding until until it just became too much. And then we fled to uh, back to Central America. And and this time we went to where my grandparents are from, from, Nicaragua, communist, communist Nicaragua, Sandinistas. And um, like my mom worked with the newspaper there. She was a journalist. So now we're in this communist country. Um, everything is regulated. And then Russia at the time decides to pull funding from all of their, uh, all the countries that, that were communists that they were supporting. So now there's no food. There's no food. We like, even if you had all the money in the world, you would go to the grocery store. There's not even bread, nothing. There's not even a chicken egg, nothing. And, uh, and then the war, another war started. So, my mom was like, okay, like this is, this is too much. And so now we have nothing. Now we don't, we lost the support of the, of the Canadian government. Cause we, we left and my mom is like, whoa, okay. We have to make it, make our way back to Canada. And so we went by land, right? Okay. We hitchhiked all the way uh, to the closest Canadian embassy, which was in Mexico city. So we had to cross and I don't know if you've seen it in, in, uh, in uh, you've probably seen it in movies or whatnot, like this journey that a lot of people from Latin America make, you know, by land, 
right? And it's dangerous and, right, when you get oh, close yeah. to the borders because they know that those are people that are in survival mode. So you're getting robbed or you're getting threatened or you're getting blackmailed and all this kind of stuff. It's uh, it's really crazy, especially for a, a single mother. Yeah. Young child, six years old, seven years old. Vulnerability. Um, you know, we had no money, right? We had no money. And so we we we, we come up to the, the border of Mexico and uh, Guatemala. Okay, so now we, we made it to the border. <clears throat> They're stopping everyone. No one can get through. Because obviously everybody trying to get a come, you know, go across that border is obviously headed to the U.S., right? And so um, we found this coyote. They call them coyotes, people that like illegally uh, cross you over the border. And he's like, "Oh, I can get you, get you over for I I I don't I'm really I don't don't remember. You know, it's like two hundred pesos or whatever. And uh, it was my mom's last two hundred pesos." And uh, so the idea is we cross uh, underneath the bridge. So you have soldiers, you know, if they see anything, they're going to just, you know, they're going to spray. They're not even going to question their women or children there, nothing. They're just going to spray. So we cross over to the, the Mexican side. And uh, we, we um, she, had, she had a brother. My uncle, my uncle lived in Mexico City. So we were going to stay with them. And that's where we could apply for new, a new uh, application to come back to Canada. And so I'm six years old. I'm six years old. We get to the other side. And then the, the, the guy says to my mom, okay, so we got you here, but it's going to be an extra 200 pesos. And my mom's like, I don't, I don't, I don't have it. And he's holding He's holding our passports. Like he's ha- he has the passports in his hand. I'm six years old. My mom is like now arguing with this guy. Like we don't have two hundred an extra two hundred pesos. I'm saying two hundred, but I don't even know how much. It mm-hmm, is. Mm-hmm. But um, we have nothing. Like we have nothing. He's like, well, I'm not going to give you back your passports. So now we're in a situation. If we lose our passports, we can't we can't apply for anything. We can't go anywhere. We can't go back. We're like, what are we going to do? We're like nomads, right? And and uh, my mom tells the story a lot better than I do. But <clears throat> but somehow I felt the tension. And he the the guy is holding the, the passports in his hand. And I just, I grabbed them and I took off. <laughs> and then my mom, my mom was like shocked for a moment. And then she took, she was, she came, she came right after me. It's like Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> so now we go to Mexico City. We apply for refugee status. So the first time we came, we came from uh, as like political, uh, like asylum. Politi- political asylum. Now we have we're coming from as refugees, right? From the war in Nicaragua. So we're not even coming from the the Salvador uh, war and all that. We, that was the first time. But now we're coming for the the second war that we were in, which is was Nicaragua. We waited about six months, and finally we got approved. Boom, we're now on our way to to uh, to Vancouver. Okay, Vancouver, BC, nineteen eighty six. Now I'm nine years old. Okay, and um, so it must have been it must have been longer. I'm 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 mixing up the the ages there, but yeah. I landed. I was turning nine, eighty six, 
Vancouver, BC. We land. We're going through customs. We have our paperwork, right? We have our paperwork approved, right? Stamped, approved, you know. Uh, we get to customs. Uh, the guy talks to somebody. He talks to somebody else. He talks to somebody else. They bring other people, managers, and and uh, he he brings us into that little room. You probably don't know about the little room, but they have this the smallest room possible at customs. I don't know what it is, but it's the smallest room possible. And uh, the guy says, uh, "You guys have been here before." And my mom's like, "Yeah, we came as political." Uh, you know, we came as we had political asylum, and then now we're coming back as 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 uh, refugees. And he's like, "Well, you can't do that. If you get once you get status, if you leave, you lose that status forever. Like you cannot come back to this country. We give you a status, you stay in this country. If you come back, that's it. You know, we cannot let you back into this into this country, and so." Um, I'm sitting in that little room, my mom's, and, and this is why, like, I don't know what it is, but everything, everything is, is for whatever reason, like this person, because it could have been a different customs officer, but this person, you know, he, he almost gave us a time of day. My mom is sitting there. Exp- now she goes and explains the entire story, like <laughs> going through this, Guatemala, this is where it is, my son, we the war and this and that. And then she starts uh, crying. And um, and I'll never forget this. So now, like, we're like, we're this close of being, I'm not being allowed to be in Canada. And uh, for whatever reason, that particular customs officer, um, you know, was uh, someone that uh, I guess was human enough to see the situation and stamp the paper, welcome to Canada. And then we were allowed to come in. And that was, that's my, that's my journey <laughs> into Canada. <laughs> um, I understand now hearing that that was a lot of trauma that you went through. Yeah. Lots of trauma. And you use this energy in such a fulfilling way for yourself. You really have. And I understand where there's this energy or palpitation that of helping other people. Because you knew how it felt as a young child, how that, that, um, how scared that feels and how you don't want anybody else to have that feeling. And you've turned that into a positive for yourself. Whereas some people trauma can eat them, um, you've become learned victim. they become victims. Mm-hmm. And you have what a powerful woman! I I hope I'm honored to meet your mother. Wow, um, I have chills going through my body. Uh, now, what brought you to Ottawa? <laughs> well, um, here, here's what I'll, here's what I'll say. So Vancouver, in, in and the only way I can describe it is I don't even I don't know if you've seen this movie Scarface. Yeah. And in the movie, there's this underneath the bridge when they were bringing in all the Cuban, uh, all the Cuban refugees. They would keep them uh, contained underneath this bridge. Very similar. <clears throat> um, I mean, we're talking. We're not just talking about El Salvador. Um, uh, you had the 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 wars, uh, the cartel wars in Mexico. You had 
Guatemala was at war, El Salvador was at war, Honduras was at war, Nicaragua was at war, Panama was at war, Colombia was, at, I mean, if you could imagine half of Latin America was at war and we're all trying to come into to the, to Canada as refugees, there was just too many of us. And so what uh, the government did, they would, uh, I guess they would, they would, um, buy all the rooms in these hotels, like these. So it was like little mini Latin America, every single room they've bought already. Um, they were renting these rooms for all of this, this massive, like uh, insurgents, you could say of, of uh, Latin American people, you know, it was like little Latin America. And then when we went out, <clears throat> we went out to the, you know, so, so basically that was your, your, that's, this is where you started, right. In these, like, I guess, like, uh, you know, holding place, right? And then there would be people that would speak Spanish and they could help us find a, a place to live or whatnot. And so where we, where they brought us was um, was a, an area that was really bad. <clears throat> now, we like, Vancouver is a beautiful place, but it does have its, its dark places, right? And uh, so where we were, the, the back alley, there was like people, you know, sticking themselves. Yeah, addictions with are very high in Vancouver. Uh, I was like running around outside, getting into trouble. I guess my mom is like, thought that Ottawa would be a, a place where, you know, I could settle in a little bit, you know, because I was getting into so much trouble already at nine, 10 years old. I was just getting in so much trouble. So, you know, capital nation's capital, capital of Canada, it, nothing can go wrong there. <laughs> So that's why we came uh, to Ottawa, right? We came, uh, my mom came as a, as she made a sacrifice to restart her life again uh, to make sure that I would have a better life here. She thought I would have a better life than where I was there in this, you know, uh, surrounded around, you know, like we were still, uh, we were still in poverty, but there would be, I guess, less poverty around. Remember, those parts that seem shitty are actually the parts that bring color and vibrance to your life. Every garden needs manure to thrive. I want to ask you about rugged culture. <laughs> yes, where we met. Yes. <laughs> why the title and why clothing? Why did you bring that to Ottawa? <clears throat> well, the, the biggest reason has nothing to do with uh, clothing or fashion, you know. I did fall in love with hip-hop. So when I moved to Vancouver, so back home, the only thing we knew was Michael Jackson. Like, we could we could sing Michael Jackson songs. We even, couldn't even speak English. I mean, this is like Michael Jackson was like, you know, and the the he, he would, I mean, he was not a breaker, but he would he would have these, like, he would he's a he was breaking is that, yeah. essentially that's, that's, that's what he was doing and i remember um and this is so close to me now because a few weeks ago i went back to where i grew up in vancouver like i drove out there uh this summer and i, I searched for my old neighborhood and i went to you know that the so broadway which i thought was broadway and fraser where i where i grew up but it's actually uh, prince edward street and and broadway so down the street we, they had these skate bowls and across the street from that they had this school 
And I remember walking the first time I, I, I arrived to that neighborhood. I remember walking down the street. I must have been nine years old. And people had um, cut out this cardboard. And they were in front of this, this building. And they had taped the cardboard to the ground. And they were dancing. This is at 1986, if you can, if you can imagine. And I was just so fascinated. You know, I was just like, I remember, like, I was like nine years old, just sitting all day long, I would go there and watch it. And my, and then I went and bought my first cassette tape, the Fat Boys. And that was my first cassette tape. And then I bought Run DMC. And then I bought uh, uh, Run DMC, uh, LL Cool J. And like, this is like, this is, I was like in love with hip hop. It was just like, the the music spoke to me for some reason other than other music i just didn't feel like it it can i connected with it and so i always i always grew up a hip hop head and this is what i knew um going back to why i opened the 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 business it was 15 years old i'd lost my way i ended up living on the streets and um high school dropout living on the streets you know doing what i had to do to survive sleeping in in banks or whatnot and I had a life-changing moment at 17 where I became a father. And that moment for me was a pivotal moment in my, for, in my life because it was the first time, uh, the first time that I discovered purpose. You know, what, it, what, is it, what does it really mean to live with purpose and have a reason why and why you do things? Beforehand, if you would have met me at 15 years old, my confidence was like this. I had no belief in myself, very low confidence, very negative. The entire world is against me. But now I have this little baby, right? And they put her in my arms. And now uh, it's like, whoa, like it's no longer about me anymore. It's, it's about this human being. And I, and I didn't have a father, right? So my, my father was never around. And I just didn't want to be that type of father that wasn't around for, for his kids, even though I'm still a kid myself, 17 years old. I said, I have to, you know, change my life, right? I looked at, I, I mean, uh, she was born in Montfort Hospital. So for those, for the people that are listening to this and they're not from Ottawa, Montfort Hospital is the East End on Montreal Road. It's a French hospital. And obviously, it was a French hospital because her her mom was in in in, uh, in Orleans. She's francophone. She's from Haiti. You know, we chose that hospital. And I remember uh, going to the bathroom in that hospital and looking at my looking at myself for the very first time in the mirror and saying to myself, Alfonso, you have to change. And that was the beginning of my expansion. What I knew was get a job, go to school. So I went. I got a job, went to school. Five dollars an hour was what they were paying me. These bastards. <laughs> but uh, that's what I was worth, right? Five dollars an hour. Now I'm trying to go to school full time. Now I didn't have to go back to high school. Um, the reason I did it was I didn't. I never wanted my daughter to say, have an excuse not to finish high school because I didn't. So I said, at least I'm going to go and I'm going to finish high school. And now I'm trying to work full time right? $5 an hour, full-time going to school, full-time. And I said, this is, it's not, it's not going to work. I have this, uh, this young family. So I remember always going to Montreal or Toronto or even New York. I had this fascination with New York. You would buy uh, mixtapes and jeans and t-shirts from, from these vendors. 
uh, you know, you can find like, and it's all like cheap stuff that I don't know where they got it from. It was probably China stuff. China wasn't that relevant at that time. But uh, these mixtapes, you know, Tony Touch, uh, you know, Green Lantern, like all these mixtapes that you did not see in Ottawa, right? And so what I would do is I would go to Toronto and I would just buy all the stuff from the these street vendors and I would bring it back and I would sell it uh, from my locker in school, in high school. If you were, you, what school did you go to? I didn't grow up in Ottawa. I grew up in Sudbury. Okay. You so I went to adult high school. Okay. <laughs> but there must have been, the, there must have been, it doesn't matter what high school you went to. Yeah. There must have been that kid with the backpack, always with something to sell or trade. There had to have been that kid. There's always that one kid that is like so industrious. It's always like I had. I just, I just knew the kids that sold like weed and hash. That's the kids that I was looking for. Okay. So I didn't go to that level. I was selling clothes. Uh, I was hustling clothes, more profitable, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I would buy these pair, pair of jeans in Toronto for 20 bucks. I'd come back and I would resell them to the, my kids in school for 60 bucks. I'd make a $40 profit with a 10 minute transaction. I mean, that's better than selling weed, if you ask me. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> and there's no liability. Yeah. And then the, the mixtapes, okay, the mixtapes which no one had heard of any of these songs, new songs, the newest, newest, newest of the new. I would buy, go to the dollar store and you buy the stack, right? And then you would dub them all off and I would photocopy the, 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 the covers and I would sell them 20 bucks a pop. That was a business. That was, yeah. that was the beginning of my, of, my, of my business. And so I fell in love with the business, knowing that the business stuff could catch up because I knew so much about hip hop. Like I knew so much about it that I knew that like, this is like, this is, this is my chance. I could do this. And so I would go to Montreal and I go to Toronto and I would see these hip hop stores. And I said, I can do that. I can bring that to Ottawa. And people would say, nah, Ottawa, no one's going to want to buy things. It's a preppy place no one's gonna there's not gonna be enough of a market and i'm like no we like this i know this could work and so when i graduated high school that was the vision that i had it was like you know i wanted to own own my own physical location that was like that was gonna be it for me it's like whoa like i can be i can be in control of my own destiny right that's that's how i got into in rugged culture so you so yes why rugged culture why the clothing store and then why rugged culture? I just thought we were like, we were rugged. Like we were, it's a rugged era, right? It, it was like, you know, like it was a, like the, 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 the swag was rugged, was a rugged swag. I mean, big ass lug sh- shoes and Timberlands, you know what I mean? It, everything about what we we were, 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 was rugged. And so I felt, uh, I said, rugged, it's a culture of rugged people. And um, that was that was what I called it. And everybody said, no, it's not going to work. It's a stupid name. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it did, though. It, it really you knew exactly what the heart of it was. And you just, you know, were living out of your experience. Yeah. And you really named it properly. How long did the store last for? The first location we opened it. So we had we ended up with 
locations all across Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first location uh, was 1998. We sold a lot of the stores, and then we finally closed our last location. I want to say 2013, but I, I I might be mistaken. Could be 2012, 2013, something like that. That's a long run. Yeah, and, and 1998 was the year of the ice storm for Ottawa. Yeah, the year of the ice storm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. that. Now you left that part of the business. Why real estate? Now we're going deep. (laughs) Yeah, so. Hey, if you're curious to know how deep we go, be sure to listen out for episode two. Thank you for making it all the way to the end. I appreciate you and your time. If I can ask you, please share out this podcast. Share it out to the public. Share it out to a friend. Help grow the community of Lift Oneself. Until next time. Be sure to be kind and soft with yourself. You matter.